When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. We have an awesome show planned for you today. Fearless at the movies today, a much lighter show. We're going to talk about Creed, Creed 3, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, and what's the other guy's name? Walker, or what's what's the guy's name? Who's the other? Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors. Majors. Going to talk about Creed 3, and as I told you at the end of yesterday's show, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Chris Rock's Netflix special, uh, Selective Outrage. Fantastic, light, fun show. Back from yesterday's show, Steve Byrne, Pastor Anthony, Bryson Gray. Visiting us over Skype will be Shamika Michelle, Steve Kim. I think Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle, and then Steve Kim again. We're going to get a lot of uh, Steve Kim today. Uh, before I do any of all of that, though, I want to tell you guys about uh, why I'm sleeping better. It's because of cozy earth. Going to bed at a decent hour didn't always mean I got enough sleep. Oftentimes, I was either too hot, too cold, or just not comfortable. That changed with my cozy earth bedding. It's the softest, most luxurious, and responsibly sourced bedding on the planet. Cozy Earth bedding is naturally temperature regulating, so I sleep great in any weather, and I'm not alone. They have thousands of five-star reviews, and they got the most important review. I was talking about Cozy Earth, I believe, last week or the week before, and my best friend, Susie May, uh, called me from Kansas City and said, Jason, me and Kirk, we've been sleeping on Cozy Earth for years. That's our bedding. We love it, too. Glad you enjoy it. That's a real story, I'm telling you. Susie May called me. Her and Kirk been sleeping on these Cozy Earth for decades. Welcome me to the party. I love my Cozy Earth sheets. They make a huge difference. For me, I'm sleeping much better at night. It does make things cooler. As I told you guys previously, I got two different beds I sleep in. One has Cozy Earth. The other doesn't. There's a major difference. Cozy Earth is so confident you will love their products. They offer a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it. Wash it. Try it out. If you're not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. Whether it's their luxury seats, available in five awesome colors, loungewear, pajamas, or premium waffle bath towels, you'll love sleeping and shopping at CozyEarth.com. My audience can save up to 35% on Cozy Earth. Right now, just go to CozyEarth.com and enter my promo code FEARLESS to save up to 35%. That's CozyEarth.com, promo code FEARLESS. All right. Now that you're sleeping better, you'll probably enjoy our conversation about the movie Creed 3, Michael B. Jordan, uh, Jonathan Majors. 
This gentleman and uh, Steve Kim is joining us via Skype. There's, there'll be five of us talking about uh, this movie. Steve, we'll start with you uh, first. But I thought this movie could have been great, could have been a classic, could have been right there with Rocky, could have been for me right there with Scarface, A Bronx Tale, The Godfather. But they blew it because they wasted too much time on the guy's daughter and her sign language and her being the next Rocky Balboa or Apollo Creed or whatever. They blew it with the kid angle, the daughter angle, she, the little Arya Stark angle, and didn't spend enough time developing uh, Diamond Dame, uh, Adonis's rival, in this, and if they had done that, they could have taken a movie that's a six and a half, a seven, and turned it into a nine and a half, ten. I, pretty good, but not great. Uh, I would say this, this description in three words about that movie. Sue or Edge, I thought it was terrible, honestly. And I know people that were in that movie, I apologize to them, or let me just say, all of you guys deserve Oscars. Okay, I know, but you guys are not going to be happy with me. Um, I got to see you guys. I got to work with you guys. But that movie was so flawed. They they have to start getting consultants from the boxing business to actually work with them because maybe my own knowledge of the sport and actually having gone to gyms and talking to people and seeing how it really works. I mean, give me a break. They literally had fighters sparring without headgears, putting on World War Three. That never happened. In one scene, Adonis is out there with hand wraps hitting a tree. Folks, maybe Jack Dempsey did that. Maybe John L. Sullivan. I've never seen that. Fighters don't even chop wood anymore. And this whole thing, I mean, I will, I will say this. D-block game played by Jonathan Majors, I actually liked him. I actually thought he did a good job, and that's a big, strong athlete. He fit. But there's so many things that I'm watching this. Uh, and I went last night with Mario Lopez, and there are a couple moments where we just looked at each other going, oh, God. And let me just point out some of the problems I had. Number one, so a guy serves an 18-year bid with no pro fights, and he's going to get a title shot. Really. Try getting that past a commission. Look, Pete Rademacher is the only person in the history of boxing ever to make a pro debut and fight for the heavyweight title. The difference is he didn't serve an 18-year bid, and he was a gold medalist in 1956. So uh, there's a little bit of recency there, and he fought Floyd Patterson, and predictably he got stopped. Vasil Omanchenko fought for a title in his second pro fight, won it in his third. Uh, guys, and again, this is where my knowledge of the sport probably ruins these things. You have to at least be in the ratings to get a title shot. It kills me. Then the Mexican heavyweight champion. I happen to know that young man who played him. His name is Jose Benavides. Guys, in real life, he's a welterweight. To put this in perspective, a career middleweight, now junior middleweight, is 147 and now 154 pounds. When he was squared up against Jonathan Majors, it looked like Brutus against olive oil. And I'm like, okay, in what world is this guy a heavyweight? Okay? Then his career is run by the momager. Guys, I've never heard of, <laughs> it's always the overbearing father that becomes the manager that makes bad decisions. I mean, there's, there's so many things that I'm going to go on. One other thing. Um, 
The trademark of the Rocky franchise is the training montage. I mean, they absolutely perfected it all the way back in 1976. And by the time we got to Rocky IV, I mean, that thing just was just one big, long MTV music video, and it worked. I thought the training montage was an absolute buzzkill. And another thing, one last thing before I turn it over, because, you know, I'm going to give this thing not even a thumbs down, but a middle finger, because I want those two hours back. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you this right now. The girl that was married to Jordan or Creed and the daughter, this is the interesting thing. Um, Felicia Rashad was in there. And, and you know, they, yeah, I don't want to give a spoiler, but she's in there. But then the, the girl that's with Creed, I guess his wife now, looked a lot like Lisa Bonet. So the whole time I'm thinking, wow, the Huxtables are here. I just couldn't get that out of my mind. But anyway, I'm just telling you, they need to kill off this series. I, I thought Creed 2 was awful. I don't think this one was any better. Mm, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, that sounds like a 2, maybe? Maybe uh, 0.8. A 0.8. I, ooh, I, I literally ooh. think if it was... Okay. Let me just tell you, the, okay. the, the Rocky... <laughs> uh, guys, I can give you my ratings on the whole franchise. I actually thought about it. And the... Only one that I can really think was demonstrably worse was Rocky Five. And to us Rocky aficionados, Rocky Five never happened. We don't even acknowledge it. It's yeah, like it Chuck Cunningham. Yeah. It's it's like Chuck Cunningham in Happy Days. Remember one day Richie Chuck Cunningham had a brother and then he went up to his room and he was never seen again on the series? That's kind of what Rocky Five <laughs> is to this franchise. I, I'm just telling you. If you have any knowledge of boxing and have been in the sport, there are so many little things that they do. And I'm like, they couldn't get a consultant to at least help them out a little bit. But again, I'm a little bit of a snob. I don't think they wanted a consultant. No. No. They, they okay. want to go off in La La Land. Steve, Steve well, Byrne. I love how Steve Kim is name dropping Mario Lopez. Well, guess what, Steve? Well, I got to watch the I, I watched Creed 3 on a screener on a portable laptop uh, at, at Screech's grave. Um, that's who I watched it with. And I'll tell you guys why you're both wrong about Creed 3. Creed 3 was amazing because... <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah that, that whole wasted sign language deal. Yeah, that's last part of the reason wanna, I'm just... The last, Jason, the last thing I want to do at a movie is read. Okay, if it's not one of those foreign films, you better not have subtitles. I just... This and this is coming from Steve Kim, who watches a lot of Korean uh, action dramas and crime thrillers that are subtitled, so yes. <laughs> right, no, that's not true, but I'm just... So, by the way, here's the funny thing about Benavides, the heavyweight. He has a brother that is actually a super middleweight that's much bigger. I don't know why they chose him. Benavides is actually fighting Caleb Plant March 25th on pay-per-view. And I just, when, I, when I'm just watching this and I'm going, this is so far off. Because if you look at the original Rocky, yes, Rocky Balboa got the call, unlikely call to face the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. Well, there's a difference. They put a good context to it that the original opponent had fallen out. So they're kind of in a rush, like, oh, my God, we got to salvage this event in the holiday season. And at least Rocky had just beat up Spider Rico. Right? 
So this whole thing. Rocky had a long you, boxing career. Oh, he did. Come on. That was he a, had a real career, though. Happened. Creed 3 was amazing. I'm Go about, ahead, Bryson. Go uh, ahead. Listen, I'm uh, sorry. I'm going to give Creed 3 probably the highest score. I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I thought the shots were amazing. I thought the training scenes were amazing. The only reason it wasn't a 10 is because of the daughter. Lovely, lovely young lady. No disrespect to her. But I do agree they should have pit more of a backstory on Jonathan May. Uh, character uh, 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 Diamond Dame. I thought that I thought that would have made it a ten for me, but it was a nine easily. I'm talking about a, the, the scene where where they were boxing and then it just and then they were just boxing by themselves and nobody around. Come, you, come on, Jonathan Major is one of the best actors out right now. Okay, the oh, scenes were come on. What are, what flaws are y'all finding here? I'm lost. Bryson. Bryson, I didn't understand that. Oh, so they start the fight at Dodger Stadium. And by the way, the last time there was a fight at Dodger Stadium, it was very tragic. I, I think a young featherweight by the name of Davey Moore died, and, and uh, there are songs written about it. So I like that touch. Steve, Steve, Steve. Steve, you're wrong. The last fight at Dodger Stadium, a San Francisco Giant fan ended up paralyzed. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you know what? You are right about that. But that technically took Sorry. place in the parking lot. But, okay, so all correct, of a sudden. Correct, <laughs> correct. And then all yes. of a sudden, it's just them. It's just two-man battle, They're, and they, they, they have this big concept where it's just them, two men battling. So they went from the first oh, and beautiful. second round all the way to the 12th. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What happened to the other eight rounds? At least in Rocky 1, they showed the ring card girls that were all looking like the Statue of Liberty. So you saw five, six, seven. You kind of got a context. It's almost like here they ran out of money and just said, okay, you know what? Let's just go to the 12th round. And I'm like, okay. I don't – I the, the, They never showed me, the ring card girls either. Which, you know, kind of disappointed Steve, old man like me. Steve, but, uh. now you have to suspend your, suspend reality in order to watch Rocky fight Apollo. But now you want this to be a documentary. You, don't, you want the location <laughs> to be accurate. You want all the training to be accurate. You want everything to be accurate. Come on now. Come on, Steve. Look, if you actually go back to Rocky, which, by the way, is not actually my favorite movie of the franchise. But if you actually look back at the way they train in the gym, the gym that they used in the original Rocky or the first two was a real boxing gym. It was the mainstream boxing club here in L.A. owned by the Steinler family. OK. Um, and when you look at Mickey, Mickey actually looked like a real trainer. He kind of talked like one of those old guys and the training that they use, even chasing the chicken, the quickness feet in the, in the, in the sequel was pretty good. But the way they did the training montage it was kind of depressing. Like to this day, I still work out to a lot of Rocky music, most of it composed by Bill Conte. And it's very inspirational. I've said, if you work out to the Rocky Four soundtrack, it is scientifically proven, you burn 500 more calories per hour. That <laughs> I wanted to sleep. I wanted to go to bed. I was like, Ugh, okay, just get Steve, to the fight. The I, only I, the only people that are chasing chickens now are people who want cheaper eggs, man. <laughs> They're not training that way anymore. It's it's all different. But for me, I, I give it a seven. There are a few things I think they could have done you, with Dane. You lowered your score. I, well, seven, seven, eight. <laughs> seven, eight. Yeah, 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 seven, eight. Seven, eight. Seven, eight. It did chase chickens. It just wasn't in the third one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, give, I give it seven, eight. I, I'm, I'm good with it. It's a really good film. I love the cinematography. I love the story. Uh, Jonathan Majors, he really acted that role. If, if I'm ever watching a movie and I get angry with the villain, He's playing a good role. Like it was, he was really doing his job in that movie. I loved it, and and when I'm watching a Rocky film, I know or a Creed film, 
you got to suspend some of this. I mean, this is not a documentary. You're not going to get somebody called up. Oh, we lost. You. There's nobody in all of boxing they can get to box. Nobody on the planet. We got to reach to find somebody. That's how Rocky fought Apollo. This is how Dane yep. fights Creed. I, I get it. I think we could all agree, too, the, the, this Rocky films are never about boxing, right? It's about life. It's about outside the ring. Yes. And so the, the scene where Felicia Rashad is is passing and she's in bed and she's speaking to Adonis, but she has had a stroke and she's talking to Apollo. It's heartbreaking. Mm. And then and then the scene evolves and she starts saying, I don't know if you guys caught that part. No, a lot no, of people no. miss this part, but, yeah. but she said, Cliff, Cliff, <laughs> I washed all those sweaters for you, Cliff. <laughs> and I always respected how you always bought all the women cocktails at the parties. <laughs> Cliff. <laughs> I missed that part. I think I was out getting ah, pop yeah, you're getting popcorn. popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but, okay, I listen. will say this. Jason, let me just tell you, the best part of going to the movies last night is that there's a preview for a George Foreman movie. I, I generally don't I like yeah, watch a lot of boxing movies because I think they're so poorly done. I never watched Ali. I just didn't want to. The Foreman movie looks promising, the way they actually filmed it. The, one of the other things I did not like about Creed, the action looked like it was a video game. It didn't even look like two humans. Like, when I saw Apollo Creed played by Carl Weathers pumping out that jab like Larry Holmes, it actually looked passable. These two guys just look like guys that went to 24-hour fitness and decided to take a boxer-sized class. I, I don't know. And then the other thing is, the other preview that I liked – there's a movie coming up on Air Jordan, the whole making of the shoe. And I'm like, okay. So I got that's the best part of that whole movie were the two previews. Honestly. That's you wanted my opinion on the movie. Oh, you made God. me go see it. You wanted my thoughts. There it is. Well, I, I, I appreciated going to the theater last night. I saw it last night. I took my kids. And um, you know, it was it was a film where we were outnumbered. There was a lot more African-Americans in the theater, which I, I appreciate. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And I'd never been in a theater where four different families brought their babies. So that was that was really exciting to hear babies crying and being breastfed and the mom walking the babies back and forth and patting them down. It was pretty cool. Are you are you being remotely serious? I'm being 100 percent serious. You heard wow. babies crying. Oh, yeah. In the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Damn. Oh, my yeah, it was like, get the binky. Shut it up. Yeah. But it was... Uh... Oh, that's why I literally... That's why I go to movies. I went to an 11 a.m. showing. That's when you do it, yeah. yeah. I went at 7 o'clock prime time, yeah. so yeah. I, I don't, prime I don't... time is the best popcorn, though. Yeah. It's better popcorn, but you run the risk of people talking during the movie, Girl. and that drives me crazy. <laughs> I, I, I can't deal with that. Uh, Steve, we're going to let you go. You've taken a dump on Creed. Uh, we'll circle back to you when we talk about uh, Chris Rock. Uh, so stay at the ready. Uh, Anthony, you're now at a seven because I think you really agree with my take. They could have developed Jonathan no, no, no. Majors more. That's, that's, what, that's what brought me down to an eight. I, I, I can seven, eight, I'm good. I, I'm good with it. It's, it's a really good movie, and I would probably go up if I watch it again because it was a really good story. You got, you know, love story. That's usually your critique. This is front and center. So Poorly developed. 
The dialogue. The dialogue. Have you seen Creed 1 and 2? I saw one and it was horrendous. You want them to develop the whole... How much love do you want to see in a movie? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's what... Some of the dialogue between Creed and his wife I thought was weak. And if I I went and rewatched Creed 1, I could tell you why I didn't like the dynamic between them and even Creed 1. There was some scene... I think in Creed One, because I, I, I did a whole critique. Everybody loved Creed One, and I thought it was I, I horrendous. It. I just watched it too. Oh, I thought it was horrendous. Wasn't there some scene where he was leaving, and she was up in her apartment, leaning out the window, and she was like, "All good." He's moving in with Rocky, and yeah. she, and she's just all good with it. And I'm like, "What? What woman is this?" Well, she. <laughs> it didn't seem like she was all good with it. Though. It seemed like she was sort of confused, like, because later in the film in Creed One, she actually brought it up, like, "You wasn't gonna tell me." The other, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that you're bringing back memories of Creed 1 for me. The other thing I never, ever bought, and this is, I don't know, y'all may not have divorced parents, but uh, Felicia Rashad's character taking Creed in, somebody else's baby, mm-hmm. it's not happening like that. Not with that guy. He's the way. Movie. I some, get it. Sometimes happens. I, 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 Again, you can write a movie in a certain way to make it more believable, show mm-hmm. that there was... But but it's like she changed, oh, this is Creed's stray baby that I didn't know nothing about. Let me bring him on in. Wait. That ain't happening. Wait, that was like that. He, was in, wait, he was in and out of group homes. He kept I, getting into fights at the... Um, at the um, the, the youth prison or whatever it was. Yeah. And she was like a last resort. Yeah, I know. She went and got a, that stray baby. It ain't, it ain't, See, this, this that ain't the, the way it goes. Film show. Everybody wants more backstory on Dame. Some yeah. people want more backstory on the daughter. Like, I'm watching it like, man, I want to know more about Leon. What did Leon... Ooh. No, I'm <laughs> We don't talk about Leon's Leon. just whooping these kids' asses. Like, what drove Leon to be such a demon? Here was the other thing. That did, the last thing that didn't land with me was the picture, and we talked about this off air, the picture uh, that Felicia Rashad showed of, of him in jail with his guy. That's a critical, critical scene. Yeah, it is. And they're mm-hmm. expecting you to remember, oh, yeah, that's the guy that beat up Drago. That but went over most people's heads. My daughter's nine, and as soon as the picture flashed, that's why they kept showing. I'm like, man, they're really showing this picture a lot. And, I, and then they showed the picture that Felicia Rashad shows yeah. Creed, mm-hmm. and then my daughter, my daughter's nine goes, oh, and I was like, she got it. So I think that, I, I don't know if she can get it. I think most of us. Maybe the conversation yeah. scene, we could find them. That was, right. that was, that, that scene was amazing too. And then he got punched in the face, and then Michael B. Jordan was like, oh, I. Okay. Yeah, and that right. sets up. That set it up. Yes. Come on, come, come, yes. come on. Could have been better. Uh, <laughs> I like too how how Mike B. Jordan. He's the director. He steered away from stereotypes. You know, when he brought Dame over to his house, he could have poured him anything. And what did he pour him? Hennessy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he had to do the end though. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to Shamika Michelle next. I wanna be, I just wanna, I wanna be, I just wanna, I wanna be, I just wanna. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men 
We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. And we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle. She has seen Creed, and she's also watched uh, the Netflix special with uh, Chris Rock. Shamika, we got a wide array of opinions on Creed. Where do you come down? I actually liked it, Jason. I think because I went in a little scared because the first one I think came out in 2015 and the second one 2018. So I was sure it was going to be like overly woke. And the fact that it wasn't, I was very pleasantly surprised because there were a few few things that I was uh, questioning and I'm glad uh, Steve Kim cleared it up. Like the momager, I was wondering how, you know, 
often that happens in boxing and then him sparring with women. I was just really wondering like if that's something that's usual. So I didn't like those parts, but overall I thought it was a really good. Hold for one second. I just want to clean up. He didn't spar with women. She worked the he the punching yeah, hands or whatever. Was. She worked Yeah, did but and actually I think the woman that played that role is mm -hmm. actually a former fighter, now trainer that she's called the queen of gloves or queen of the gloves. And so when I'm watching it, it bothered me as well. When I got home and did a little homework, I was like, okay, they don't put an Instagram model in here, but at least she's legitimate. Uh, <laughs> so it, that didn't bother me as much. All right, continue. Yeah, another thing that I liked about it was how soft and feminine his wife was because I'm used to a lot of times they portray the woman as being very combative and talking back and just not wanting to listen. But the way she agreed for him to actually go and fight Jonathan Majors again, you know, and she said, do whatever you have to do. I appreciated how supportive she was this opposed to, I feel like, one and two. I just felt like she was a little bit more supportive. So I actually like that. And I want to tell uh, Steve really quickly, I've laughed more today than I did watching Chris Rock. So I just wanted to say that before I forget. <laughs> You're a little ahead of schedule. Hey, I wanted to get your take. What did you think of the way they handled the child and the fight at the kindergarten, that was the other thing that didn't, it, it, it didn't, you know, we gotta get her in boxing lessons. She's already beating up kids. Why is Adonis saying we gotta get her in, but we gotta teach her to fight? She already done beat up one of her classmates. It's, you know, <laughs> it just, that seems silly to me. But as a parent, perhaps you know better. Yeah, I mean, I appreciated it simply because I know, you know, maybe he wanted her to fight right. Maybe he wanted to make sure she had it down pat. I like the fact that the mother said, no, we want to teach her pretty much conflict resolution skills. But Adonis was like, no, we need to make sure that she's able to defend herself. And I think that's a very realistic conversation when it comes to parents that normally you have the one that's a little bit more rah-rah, let's get it popping. And the other one that has to be a little more even keel and, you know, not want to have it pop off like that. So I, I like that part of the movie. I thought it was good. And I like the fact that he didn't cower to her to just say, okay, you're right. Even though he did say it'll be our little secret with the daughter, I appreciated the fact that he was willing to stand his ground and not just look like a complete wuss when his wife wanted to do something else. One of the things though, Jason, I think you all all missed was how perfectly cast Jonathan Majors was. Y'all have said everything about his body, but I didn't hear anybody say that after coming out of prison for 18 years, the way he held his mouth in that sucking position the entire time, I didn't know if it was um, <laughs> or if it was just a great cast. <laughs> but I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I had no idea where you were going. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> ah, 
that's a good segue into Chris Rock. That's, that's uh, let's transition to Chris Rock. Sure. Uh, and and you guys heard my take yesterday. I thought it was tremendous. I, I think Shamika's kind of previewed hers. I, I can't. Shamika, you thought it was terrible. I didn't think it was terrible. I just didn't think it was that funny. But I think there's something wrong with my funny bone because I rarely laugh at comedians. That's why I'm I'm looking forward to Steve sending me some free tickets for one of his shows so that I can actually go and see him in person because he has cracked me up this episode. But no, I didn't really think Chris Rock oh, was that kind. funny. Well, I'm in Raleigh this weekend. I'll give you tickets. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Oh. Yeah, he's in Raleigh yeah. this weekend, day. That's that's not good. I'll give you tickets that's... at at cost. At cost. <laughs> <laughs> not free, but like the what we'll talk. Yeah. Okay, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh I thought Chris Rock was terrific. I thought that uh again, as I said in my fire starter yesterday, he stood on some biblical values and really push back against cancel culture. And and I feel like, Stephen, I'm asking this seriously, yeah. it feels like we've perhaps reached a turning point where guys are really going to strongly push back against this cancel culture and just say what they think. Yeah, I, I really do think it's the pendulum starting to swing. I'm seeing now May 25th, you have Sebastian Maniscalco, Burt Kreischer, you have hard, hard R-rated comedy films coming back into the marketplace. You haven't seen hard R comedies in I mean, years because Hollywood has stopped. To us laymen, what, what's hard R comedy? Give, give us some examples. I like Hangover, Bridesmaids, you know, films you would watch today and go, oh, you couldn't make that today. That's what I'm talking about. And so I think you're seeing what happened was Hollywood stopped making these R-rated comedies and so the consensus, the general public, was getting their fix at comedy clubs. And so they started gravitating towards comedy. That's why comedians now are selling out theaters more than ever, are selling out arenas more than ever. Back in the day, I mean, Dice Clay sold out Madison Square Garden. That was an event. And now you live in a day and age where Sebastian Maniscalco sold out the garden eight times in a row over the course, I think, of like four or five days. So, I mean, Americans still want that outlet of humor and hearing things you can't say necessarily in the workplace, but they still want to hear it. And now Hollywood, I think, is finally getting to a place where they're capitulating and saying, all right, let's, let's try this. Let's see what happens. And it's on the backbones of two of the more successful touring stand-up comedians, Sebastian and, and Bert. So, Shamika, wh what didn't you specifically like? Any of it. <laughs> I mean, there were funny parts. I think I laughed about four times. I did like him talking about Meghan Markle. I agreed. We all do that to babies. I know I've looked at ears and around the nail bed to see how dark the baby is going to be. So I, I appreciated that part. I like when he talked about the woke culture and he spoke against that. I appreciated that. It wasn't, it just wasn't funny for me. And I know you said you felt like he was pro-life, and I'm, I was wondering that because it was so extreme. 
But I have to say that I'm not completely sold on him being pro-life simply because as a mom of three, I feel like I've talked to them about how babies are made. They know that. I've shared life experiences. Their father has talked to them about how men can be. And I feel like if North Carolina was to ever outlaw abortion, it would just be tough kitty ain't no more milk and ain't no more access to abortions. So I feel like I don't really buy the whole he's pro-life thing. I think he said he was pro-choice and I believe that he wants his daughters to be able to make that decision. Now, I do feel like I understand libertarians when they say they don't want the government involved in that type of stuff. But personally, my moral code is I'm pro-life and I just would not bend on that even for my own children. He's got a long history of pissing off the left for basically being anti-abortion and ridiculing. He had a, I think it was in 2005, he started doing a comedy routine where he started bragging about going to <clears throat> abortion rallies because he knew all the women were slutty and they would be easy to pick up. <laughs> and that's what got him in trouble with Slate and other, they started you know, calling him you know, the right wing con uh, comedian or the William F. Buckley of comedy. And he's had a little consistent history of, of calling abortion murder. Uh, I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that someone would call abortion murder and be for it. I, I felt like he was sucking the people in to, oh yeah, he's on our team, and then putting it in their face. And here's what you actually support. You support the murder of children. So I thought it was good. I thought he did a good job with uh, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith and the way he tied that all together. He cracked jokes throughout about, I don't need another mad rapper, and, and, and then ended up talking about Will Smith and, and clown both of them. Were you, did you have a, well, you're the wrong person to ask, uh, <laughs> but did you have a problem with him calling Will Smith and Jada Smith a bitch. I had no problem with it. I actually did clutch my pearls, but it was out of shock. But I was really like, mm, give me more. It was so good. And I <laughs> finally saying something that I was, I was, I could have fast forward to the end had I not been watching it live because it was time for him to actually put them in their place. He said so many of the things that we actually said a year ago when it happened like he was watching our show and agreed with us that yes, Will Smith is so much bigger than him. Yes, Will Smith had misplaced anger and should have been mad at his bald-headed hooker wife who actually went out here and had sex with her son's friend while he was having a mental meltdown. So I appreciated that part. That was actually the best part for me. And it wasn't that funny. I just was so happy and surprised that he went as raw as he did. So no, I didn't have a problem with it and it didn't make me feel like he was uh, talking about all women or that he would be disrespectful to all women. No, he was disrespectful to Jada because Jada has been disrespectful, period, across the board to Will, bringing him on national TV, just emasculating him in front of the world. I felt like she got every drop of what she deserved. 
Thank you, Shamika. <clears throat> Great job as always. You look awesome. Uh, we're going to move on to, uh, we're going to bring Steve Kim back, get his thoughts on Will, not Will Smith, <laughs> on Chris Rock and his Netflix special next. Alright, I don't want to do it, but we got to bring the Korean Cosell back because he watched uh, the Chris Rock special, Selective Outrage. Steve, just being a boxing expert, a college football expert, comedy may be what he knows best or thinks he knows best, although I looked at his top five comedians of all time and not very bright. Uh, neither is Steve Burns either. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a second. Uh, Steve Kim, Korean Cosell, uh, what did you think of Selective Outrage? All right, so for as much as I didn't like Creed Three, I did like Selective Outrage. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, and I, I thought he hit it, and he is Nolan Ryan as a Texas Ranger. He still has his fastball. He is still very capable of bringing the heat, and I, I'm just telling you, I thought he laid out everything perfectly, and I love the fact he actually served us a whole meal, and he ended it with dessert with Will and Jade. I thought it was actually brilliant the way he, he just actually had a lineup. He had a plan, laid out his points. And then they coup de gras, and he literally just dropped the mic. He still has it. Yeah, I thought it was a tremendous performance, as I've stated earlier. Where, where do you rank Chappelle versus Chris Rock? Is Who is the premier co comedian of this era? You know, that's like the old Bird or Magic or Nas and Jay-Z type of thing. Ginger, Marianne, it's tough. I, I think they're both brilliant in their own way. But, it, it, you know, this is not a shot at Chappelle. I think this particular set, Chris Rock said, you know what? I'm going to let my hands go. And nowadays, I judge a stand-up comedian's performance by not how much I laugh, because that could be very subjective. But I have a new criteria. Who do you offend? And the fact on Twitter, a lot of these guys with the rainbow avatar and a lot of people from a certain grouping are offended and clutching their pearls and actually, get this, are actually asking, hey, was Chris Rock actually ever funny? Hell yeah, he was. Like he was on Saturday. And so the fact he pissed off those people let me know he hit it. He hit it. He did it absolutely. By the way, I would have loved to have been a wall inside the house of the Kardashians while they were watching that. When he dropped that line about God's message to the father, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. That was, that was not my favorite part of the Kardashians. I liked it better. Kim Jenner, bring me your poor, your huddled masses. Bring me your crack-addicted athlete. Come on in here, boy. Give me. And then I think she went after Travis Scott, too, your, your you know, Mentally crazy genius rapper. rapper or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I that was actually the funniest part of the whole deal to me. Uh, you have an opinion, Chappelle or, or Rock? 
Uh, look, to me, Rock is my is my goat. I love I love Chris Rock. Uh, the, he can do no wrong. The, the only my only gripe and just I haven't seen the whole special because I was working, but um, when he did the mic drop on the line, don't fight don't fight in front of white people. I was like, oh my god, that's a great premise. Like, what do you? I, I understand everything is reverse engineered, but it's like I when I heard that line, I was like, I'd love to hear more about that. But he had already done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the point. So, uh, uh, but uh, other than that, I just, I, I think he's the greatest. Well, actually, you think Richard Pryor is the greatest. No, for me, if I would, in my ranking, are we doing this now? Yeah, yeah, no. In, oh, I just, I just wrote those as like, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, it wasn't yeah. one to five? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. <laughs> you blew our graphic. No one. Where is it? <laughs> There's Steve Burns. You got Richard Pryor, number one, George Carlin, two. Oh, well, no, that's right. That's right, yeah. Chris Rock, three. No, that's right. That'd be my graphic. Because, because... Well, I, hold on. You called Chris Rock the GOAT. For me, yeah. But I'm, I'm going back in time to understanding. Pryor's the first to kind of really peel back the curtain and reveal himself. You know, there's all these different, you know, like evolutions. Lenny Bruce is the first to kind of, and then there's other, there's a few other names that floated around that said, well, this was actually the first person to start infusing profanity into, into their act. But Lenny Bruce is the, is the one we all know, right? And Pryor's the first one, I think, to peel back the layers and start really getting introspective and making himself vulnerable. And so I think he is the reason we're at this place now where now the pendulum swung so far we have comedians doing like therapy sessions in their hour specials and they're crying and it's just like, what is going on? It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Pryor, but you wouldn't have what you have without Pryor getting so personal. And Chris Rock, what you saw, what I'm seeing in terms of clips and everything is you're taking the personal and the societal element where you're divulging to people via microphone, hey, Think about this. This is something that affects us all, but this is particularly affect. This is how I was affected. So I thought you got the best. Of, you're getting the best of both worlds with Rock. Uh, who is Dave Attle? Dave Attell. Oh my Dave God! Attell, Come on. Yeah. Who? I don't know who is. Dave who? Attell is, I think, one of the most underrated, greatest working stand-up comedians right now. He's the comic that all comics will say, "Oh yeah, he he's the best." I mean, he was just here at Zany's. If he's got lines like, you know, if you. If you're a man and you, if you basically jizz on a Confederate flag and plant it, two weeks later, you'll, you'll have grown a Cracker Barrel. I mean, it's, that's one of, it's just, that's one of a thousand incredible jokes that he has on a nightly basis. And it's just a tossaway joke for him. He's, he's incredible. Steve, do you know who Dave Attell is? I've heard of him. I've actually heard of him. I think he's been on a comedy uh, network a few times. So I've actually heard of him. Uh, my list is pretty much the same. Look, I'm I'm not really that much of a comedy. Let's go to yeah. Let's go to Steve Kim's list. Right. Let's go to Steve so, Kim's list. You know, Rock and Chappelle, depending on what side of the bed I wake up on, can be one or two. The other guys, I think everyone else has on their list. Um, couple notes. Eddie Murphy, to me, kind of had a short run. He became more of a movie star. I will hold, say this. Hold for a second. Why are you always stepping on my toes, man? Why are you always got to be ten miles ahead of the conversation? I want you to defend your list, and then and then let me call you out. The list. Let me call. Well, then let me just transition to my list because both of these guys 
have leave off Eddie Murphy, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. How of can all time? How, yeah, of how all can time. he? Yes! He's the Bo Jackson of comedy. He left. He didn't, he didn't, he never he got to He still makes himself. funny movies. That's Comedian. part of comedy. Comedians. Comedians. Microphone, all those guys have a microphone in their hand. Eddie Jason. Murphy, yes, he was fantastic. Nobody better than him. And then he walked away. He's like Jim Steve Brown. Martin. Steve He's Martin. like Jim he Brown. Away. Jim Brown left the NFL in his prime. What to do? Flubber? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> some Disney horse shit that he wanted to go do? To get well, all the ticket revenue? No. Stay dangerous. Though, absolutely Steve, not. Steve, that's your complaint too. He didn't do it long enough. Well, I'll say this about Eddie. He had the best movie career of any comedian. I think a lot of these comedians, you know, like Richard Pryor's great. He was doing Brewster's Millions and The Toy. Uh, Chris Rock is always good <laughs> off the bench. He's never good as a starter. Uh, he's much better as Pookie than he is as the starring A-list guy. Eddie Murphy's movie, his, his whole repertoire is very good. The one guy that I thought of that I left off, and he left this too soon, and I think he's the Len Bias of my list because we never got to really see him at his true peak. Patrice O'Neill. Uh, Patrice O'Neill. Well, yeah, Patrice is Patrice. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah. Patrice oh, is great. By the way. Fantastic. And Elephant in the Room is a fantastic hour special. If, if nobody knows who Patrice is, watch that. That's all you need to know. Jason, Steve, uh, two notes here about I was taking some notes at the Chris Rock special. I just thought. His pro-choice oh, stance. Oh, hold on for one more second. Hold on for one more yeah. second. This guy, he thinks it's his show. <laughs> and, and the, the fans love him and think he's great, so he thinks it's his show, and he's always trying to take over. Would you do – is this an Asian thing or what? Is, is, <laughs> is, well, no, we're known I, for cutting people off. So come on. This is what we do. We <laughs> cut people off. That, that. I, I just – nobody wants to give Red Fox any love? Oh, now we're digging. Now we're digging. Now you're digging, digging, digging. It's like if you go there, then it's like, all right, then you could go, you know, Rickles. Is Rickles on there? Yeah, oh, we Rickles. could get into semantics. Don but Rickles talking... didn't have a Sanford and Son franchise. It's still one of the greatest shows in the history. And I know you, you're limiting comedy to just the microphone. I'm taking everything into totality. Fred Sanford, funny as his, great stand-up and a all, maybe the greatest comedy TV show of all time. I don't disagree. Well, look, of all time, I think everybody would say Seinfeld, even though he's a <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I would Not think that's I the mean, most Seinfeld. successful, yeah, success. the most successful uh, stand-up comedian that parlayed into a sitcom. Uh, uh, How absolutely. about Martin Lawrence? You can't How about negate Martin that. But, Guys, Martin Lawrence had a nice run before oh, he went no, crazy. Yeah, no, no. you know, yeah, I when I Who's this like, Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence during oh Jeff, Jeff Jam comedy in the early '90s, I actually thought as the host he was funnier than any of the comedians that came on. And the first four seasons of Martin before him and Tisha Campbell could not be in the same room. We'll talk about this and whatever. Um, that was the modern day honeymooners. They had a chemistry that was special. It was as good as any sitcom as I've seen until <laughs> he couldn't be in the same room as damn Gina. So that kind of ruined it the last couple of years. But I think Martin has to but be Steve, in the top. His, his, um, his stand-up is not on par with any of those yeah. names. No, he's not. Yeah. Not at all. I'm not even close. You so crazy? Yeah. I loved it as a, as a college student. I would watch it all the time on VHS. And then I became a stand-up, and I was like, oh, I got to go back and watch this. This was the funniest. And I went back. 
and it's not, it does not hold up. It's not good. And after being a comedian, you see through all the tricks. It's, it's kind of hacky, to be honest with you. And he's overselling it with energy. There's, you can't deny the physicality of Martin Lawrence. That's what made the show so fantastic. But in terms of a stand-up comedian, I don't think he's on par. with. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even put him in the top 50. And Steve, mm. his, yeah, his monologue for Saturday Night Live was the worst ever. That <laughs> really was the cringiest yeah. thing I've ever seen when he was on SNL. What what was that other thing you wanted to talk about before when you were trying to cut me off and take over the show? Yeah, so <laughs> this is the thing. During the Steve Kim show, we want to point this out. I actually thought when Chris Rock <laughs> made his point about pro-choice, that he's not going to be a hypocrite about it, I thought that was incredibly well done and poignant. Because he had people thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, and they were like, ooh. All, you could hear the cringe, like, ooh, like, oh, got you. Because both things can be true. I mean, I thought, wow, that was that was good. That was a counterpunching at the level of Pernell Whitaker. And then the one thing that I think I'm just telling you, when he talked about being in a neighborhood where men don't work in the afternoon, I kept thinking to myself, that's what Scott Adams is saying. Scott Adams was probably laughing his ass off in his lily white neighborhood thinking that's exactly what I'm talking about. And it harkened back to one of his old riffs about there's black people. And so he actually went back to that and he tied it together. And I thought that was really good. I, I, that point there, I, I think was awesome. And he was making a point about the matriarchy as well. All this yeah. bending over backwards we're doing for women. If we just get women jobs, everything will be better. <laughs> no, it won't. If you got men sitting around at home doing nothing, while they're, you're going to have chaos. But I thought it was terrific, thought he was terrific. Uh, thought you were okay, uh, Steve, <laughs> Kim. Uh, I, I've, Steve Byrne. Can well, we, look, can, I want you guys to g jump in the comments right now and tell me who we should bring back, Steve Byrne or Steve Kim. You know where I stand. Well, Korean Cosell, but, but, but even to your point about the pro-life and all that stuff, that's another aspect of why I loved moving to Nashville, you know? There's just a different mentality as opposed to like living in Los Angeles. Like I have a neighbor that came up to me yesterday and said, oh, we're having a baby. And my wife and I are like, congratulations. It's so awesome. Is it a boy or a girl? And they just said, you know, we're going to let the kindergarten teacher decide that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good to be here. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Hey, we got to go. Tight All show right. today. We oh, got to really? go. Okay. Great job, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got something else? You got no, more, no, Steve? No, I, I, I feel oh, as my show should end right now, so just cut it. Just cut it. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Hit the likes. Hit the subscribe. Hit the notifications. Give me a five-star review at Apple. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow.